Welcome to Legville. I'm producer Eric Sagan. Support for Legville comes from two places. Sponsors we genuinely love, and people just like you. If you'd like to help us keep the lights on in Legville, you can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Again, that's patreon.com slash Podcast. Support for the podcast also comes from Elsa's. Elsa's is now welcoming you inside for good drinks, good food, and good conversation in the heart of the Plateau Montréal. Also sponsoring the podcast is Good Mix. Good Mix includes a wide range of prebiotic fiber, which promotes microbial diversity in the gut flora. You can get 15% off your next purchase of Good Mix at Amazon and at goodmixfoods.com by using the code LIKEFILL when you check out online. You can find links to our sponsors at our website, www.likefillpodcast.com. Without further ado, Here's our host, John Faithful Hamer, introducing today's episode. Welcome to the Like Phil podcast. This is John Faithful Hamer. Today, uh, it's a great pleasure to talk to Darren Shore, who works for a fantastic, super virtuous <laughs> organization. Uh, it's, you know, it's not a, very often I, I meet like guys, middle-aged guys like me, and they, they talk about how much they have to compromise their values for you know, working for like the RCMP or for the police or for corporations or even nonprofits. And like, this is just something that is so good, like like superhero movie good. Uh, Darren works for an organization like Canadian called Canadians for Tax Fairness. So welcome, Darren. Thank you. Pleasure to be with you. Yeah. So why don't you sort of just tell our listeners, uh, you, you know, I just keep it. We got listeners all over, all over the the world, uh, New Zealand and Australia to the UK, and you know, all over the place, in states and Canada. Because uh, what you are doing is something that is so completely central to uh, to our time right now. And so maybe if you could just sort of tell our listeners what your organization is about in a, in a broader sense, and then we can get into specifics that you're going after. Sure. Well, Canadians for Tax Fairness got started about 10 years ago when you had, you know, unions and uh, lawyers and, uh, you know, do-gooders got together. Uh, there was nobody working on our issue, which is, as our title says, fair taxes. Um, the problem which you see everywhere in the world uh, is that rich people don't pay a whole lot of tax and they got a whole lot of different ways to avoid paying taxes. A lot of them are legal and some of them are in a gray zone. So uh, long story short, we said this and it's got to change. Uh, the middle class is paying for everything. It's not fair. Uh, and every dollar that we, the middle class, have to pay uh, is, a, is a, or that the, the rich don't pay is an extra dollar that we have to. So uh, long story short, that's it. Essentially, we uh, we feel more or less there's a lot of truth to the saying that the system is rigged. It's rigged for the rich. And uh, we don't feel the rich people should make money. We just feel they should pay more or less the same, you know, proportions of their income and wealth that everybody else does. Uh, fair is fair. And so that's it in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. And, it, and the thing is, this, this is such a, uh, it's such a hot topic and, you know, like we were talking about the other night when we when we met the, the party that, uh, you know, very often I talk to activists who've worked on many different issues, different files, different kind of things. And they say, yeah, I was able to push that issue really, really far. And I got like, you know, no really serious like pushback 
uh, you know, like, and that was completely fine. And yet when I tried to talk about tax fairness, tax fairness is one of those hot button issues where suddenly you get a massive, massive, like organized, very well organized pushback against you, which is an indication, you know, very often that you actually have touched something that matters, right? Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. um, I I hate to quote Stephen Harper <laughs> in a <laughs> like this, but I but I will. Uh, Stephen Harper wrote this book. It's like a total like mea culpa for a lot of the stuff that he did uh, when he was when he was prime minister, and uh, it, it's very it's very, I kind of hate read it. Like I, I you know like you hate read things like. I read it like expecting to completely hate it. And I was, I was asked by a local to write like a review of it. I ended up, they didn't actually end up publishing my review because uh, my review ended up being kind of positive, not of Stephen Harper, but of the book. Mm. But he says in the book, he says, you know, like a big mistake that we made that I made and a lot of other kind of conservatives in power made is we bought, we drank the Kool-Aid from the kind of free market um, fundamentalists yeah. and from the kind of libertarian, like, ah, just like let everything go. Blah, blah. We drank that Kool-Aid. And as it turns out, like this was a terrible idea. And he, you know, you know, we can quibble about his analogy, but maybe we'll just leave it alone. But he says that basically free market fundamentalists are for the right what um, Stalinist communists were for the uh, for the left in the 1950s and 1960s. Like it's like it's this thing that weighs the movement down. And he says, you know, a lot of the stuff that I passed and that other conservative uh, governments passed in the West has actually hurt our people a great deal. Yeah. Um, and it's really kind of messed them up. And a lot of it is because we've created this system that makes it possible for people like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and all these to just, you know, fucking pay nothing. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, you must have talked about this, I guess, the recent ProPublica report. Yeah. So what, what what do you think about all that? Well, you got a lot in there. Um, uh, number one, there's no such thing as the free market doesn't exist. Uh, how many pages are in NAFTA? About 60,000 pages. So any report that's called a free trade agreement that takes 60,000 pages is not free. Uh, it's about making a whole lot of rules, and those rules benefit some people more than others. Um, so there's no such thing as a free market. All markets are regulated. The question is, how are they regulated and who are they regulated for? At the Mormon, as everybody is aware, uh, the rich people uh, get to make a whole lot of the rules through a lot of their buddies who go in. They're called lobbyists. And some of their other buddies who get elected, they're called politicians. Um, and some of their other buddies uh, who support the process who are called uh, people in the corporate media. Um, so that's number one. There's no such thing as. Uh, By the way, just really as a, a footnote market. to what you're saying there, yeah. uh, just to our listeners, um, I recently saw the numbers uh, because I, I had been trying to get them from a friend of mine who, who lives in DC. And uh, the numbers on the lobbyists, you are 100% right down. Like, I, I was completely floored. There are right now mm-hmm. in Washington, DC, there are more full time lobbyists working for Facebook 
This is just <laughs> one fucking company. There are more lobbyists, full-time lobbyists, all of them making six figures with expense accounts in Washington, D.C., working for Facebook. Then there are total members of both chambers of Congress. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's one, that's how, one company. how is yeah. the little guy supposed to like, you know, the little guy, little woman, how are they supposed to compete when the big corporations have that kind of full-time firepower? All the you got you got to make a lot of noise and you got to be strategic. And luckily, there are good people in the media, too, uh, who are interested in helping us get our message out there, including people like you who are out there telling the truth. Uh, and at a certain point, uh, you know, you get enough of it out there and it catches on because people are not stupid. Right. You know, the mass of the information that's uh, that's available might lean in one way. But, you know, people who think and there are a lot of us out there are able to, you know, sift through all the muck and uh, come up with the truth. Uh, and luckily, with people able to produce independent media, such as podcasts like yours, that kind of stuff gets out more and more. Um, so, to to to, the, uh, to your point, yeah, we're a, we're a, we're we're three people at Canadians for Tax Fairness. Uh, we're each paid for four days a week, though we all work more than that. Uh, and uh, if you look at the other side, and I won't name any of these specific organizations, but uh, corporate interests have a number of groups. Um, a lot of them pose as nonpartisan and fair-minded groups who campaign for taxpayers. But in fact, what they really campaign for are laws that benefit rich people as they stand and they campaign really for the status quo. So absolutely to your point, we are, uh, we're outnumbered and outgunned, but uh, we're not going out without a fight. And uh, we're still here 10 years later. Um, now to your previous question. So uh, about the ProPublica report and everything. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And so, so, uh, uh, sorry, I'm going back to your previous question. You, you done, we talked about how the, the system was, uh, is uh, sort of rigged against us. Um, but you'll have to remind me, there's a second part of your, of your previous well, question. I'm asking like, how is it that they, they can pull this off? Like okay. how did they, what is the justification that you usually hear? You know, cause usually people, I mean, it's like that, that wonderful, like last line in that, that movie about the sociopath uh, with Matt Damon. It's like the, the talented Mr. Ripley where he's like, after he's just like killed his boyfriend and stuff like that, it's a fucking dark movie. But like, he says, uh, he's talking to, directly to the viewer and he says, come on, nobody thinks they're a bad person, right? And in my experience, like most people who are doing really like sketchy stuff, they don't like, it's never like in a Disney movie where they're like, ha 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 ha, like, and I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those meddling Darren Shores, you know, but like I would have like, you know, it, it, they reg- they rarely do that. They usually have like some sort of an ideology they have a rationale, which uh, which makes them, you know, able to sleep at night and feel like they're a decent person. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering, what is the rationale that you would find that rich people use to justify why they shouldn't have to pay taxes like everybody else? Oh, um Geez, uh, I'm not a psychologist. Uh, I know more about what the PR spin is than what they're really thinking. Um, I mean, part of you you alluded to Stephen Harper and his mea culpa before. The consensus is changing, right? Uh, I mean, just the you have what have you know what can be called conservative organizations, even like the IMF, started to talk about how austerity has failed. Uh, it didn't work out. We got to go back to a more Keynesian perspective on economics. You've got modern monetary theory, which is gaining more ground amongst, you know, macroeconomists who are realizing, you know what, uh, spending is actually not a bad thing. And sometimes it makes you more money. Uh, people are realizing more, in, you know, about investments. And 
people are also seeing through some of the things that were never true and nobody ever really believed, such as trickle-down economics, which were, you know, pushed forward by people who had a vested interest in helping the rich people make more money. So so the consensus is changing. Uh, I, I personally don't think that rich people ever believe that stuff. Uh, I think that... Um, you really had to be in denial. I mean, you, you had to be someone who didn't question who are you talking about when you talked about the economy, right? If you want to talk about an abstract term, such as growth of GDP or, you know, these other sort of macro economic questions where you're looking at numbers but not looking at people, you could make an argument that we were benefiting from austerity. But if you look at the average person, uh, people weren't getting richer, they were getting poorer on average over the past, especially 40 years. So it started before Reagan, but he really started to push it forward. Um, so I don't think the evidence was ever there for intelligent people to... Uh, to to believe in austerity. So I'm a little bit cynical when it comes to somebody like Stephen Harper all of a sudden popping up and saying, oh, you know what? I made a mistake. Sorry about that, guys. I shouldn't have uh, made the poor poor and the rich richer while I was in office. It's like, actually, you're a pretty smart guy and you knew what you were doing. And how convenient that you're saying something like that at a time when everybody else is saying something like that. And you've had rich people themselves saying things like this for a while, except they don't actually change the rules. You mentioned the ProPublica report. They mentioned Warren Buffett as one of the top 25 richest people in America. He's gone on record saying things like, you know, how is it fair that I should pay, a, you know, a lower percentage of my uh, income or my wealth than my chauffeur? And it's like, well, buddy, I mean, why don't you just write the check? Right. The first of all, pay your chauffeur more. Second of all, write a check to whoever you want to the government of all people should be first. So, I mean, uh, this little it's, it seems like a, a lot of PR from my perspective. I don't think any of them really buy it. I never really bought it. Um, there might have been some, but uh, it's too convenient to be true. Yeah, I you know because I've asked that, some, that I've, I've, I've like I've asked some very wealthy people who espouse these kinds of things like i've asked them like how do you how do you justify that and you know i've heard a you know variety of answers but one of the answers that i've heard many times was well you know uh middle class people are the ones who actually are going to like benefit from the social safety net like mm -hmm. they're the ones who are going to like collect unemployment they're going to collect you know these various kind of benefits I'm never going to collect any of these benefits. I've, mm -hmm. I don't qualify for any of them. I'm never going to qualify for any of them. So why should I have to pay like into an insurance system that I'm never going to benefit from? Why should I have to like, and this is the, you know, and I, to me, this, when this has been like presented to me, it kind of like, I'm kind of at a loss because I, to me, this is so foreign to my thinking that you mm -hmm. would, you would imagine that somehow you are outside of society mm -hmm. and somehow like you, like we benefit from safe streets, clean streets, from paved mm -hmm. roads, mm -hmm. from public transportation system, highway system from like, like we benefit from like thousands and thousands of different things that make this society work. Mm -hmm. And you're, you can't be outside of that in a mm -hmm. kind of meaningful sense. But that was the, the argument was like, well, we're not really, you know, we're not ever going to benefit from any of these things. And so why should the, the middle class should pay more taxes because they, they basically were saying that like all of these, the social welfare state is a giant kind of uh, insurance program, complicated insurance program. And so the people who are going to potentially 
benefit and collect from that insurance should pay into it a lot. And people like like me, you know, who is an entrepreneur or something like that, like I shouldn't pay into that. I mean, how do you at your organization, how do you respond to rich assholes? Like <laughs> how, do you, how do you respond to people like that? Um well, I mean, um, there's a lot to say there. Um, so well, there's, there's two, I mean, you're sort of raising two questions. Number one is, is the sort of uh, moral, ethical question about, you know, like, how do you respond, you know, uh, to somebody who, who is just not interested in doing something for others, yeah. uh, which seems a bit foreign to human nature for most of us. Uh, but, you know, there's, you know, we can all, we all can name a few soci- sociopaths here and there. Some of them rise to the top. Um I'm not, I don't have any answers for that one. Um, for the uh, economic side of it, that it's obviously in everybody's interest to contribute fairly uh, to government coffers. It's really, I mean, I think those people are, are I, I, I mean, maybe some of them are, are, are expressing an honest ignorance, but I just find it hard to believe. I mean, anybody who's had to do any kind of investment is dependent on other people, right? I mean, uh, you mentioned, you know, paving roads or, you know, taking public transportation, how your worker is going to get to your, you know, your factory or whatever it is that they do. I mean, if, uh, you know, we put out a report this morning about how Uber and Lyft avoid a collective about $135 million per year going to 2019 data in avoided uh, taxes. Yeah, I have corporate. not heard about this at all. Okay, We just put, please, it, we just, we just put awesome. it out this morning, but this is just okay. this morning, right? So this is our latest report. It's up on our website, Canadians for Tax Fairness or taxfairness.ca. Anyway, long story short, I mean, here's, here's a perfect example, right? This is a, a multi-billion dollar company that uh, paid its CEOs, you know, hundreds of million dollars uh, in the last couple of years. Meanwhile, reducing what it's paying its drivers. Uh, it's basically a company going bust. And, it's utterly dependent on public infrastructure, right? 100% of that cost of their business is externalized. Uh, They're dependent on their drivers being healthy, right? I mean, they don't have people who are able to work unless they have a public healthcare system. If Uber had to pay for the healthcare costs of their drivers, uh, they wouldn't have the same model of profitability. Um, They're dependent on uh, the driving courses that are subsidized, sorry, driving program that is, you know, uh, licenses and everything that's subsidized through our taxes, uh, I mean, you name it, there is just public investment left, right and center in every aspect of the economy. And it benefits businesses as much as it benefits individuals. And it benefits large businesses as much as it benefits small ones and arguably more because small business businesses don't have the power to, you know, get their friends in government to rig the rules in their favor, uh, to provide them with large subsidies. I mean, we make a big deal here in Quebec about Bombardier, which is a name that's known around the world to some of your other listeners. And mm-hmm. I know a whole lot of people who complain about them. And in fact, they just recently, for the first time, weren't able to get uh, government bailouts and they had to sell off some of their uh, airline production to uh, other companies. So, uh, you know, it's just it's just obvious that uh, and this was a first, right? I mean, Bombardier had been going back uh, cash in hand. Here's another example that'll, that'll make sense to your international listeners. When uh, we had the Great Recession back in 2009, all of a sudden, all these companies that couldn't wait to push the latest Milton Friedman theory were going cap in hand to the government's uh, asking for a bailout. So, you know, mm-hmm. everybody's a socialist when you're broke. Um, mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, when these people have enough, then, uh, well, it's, it's time for that. So that's, I mean, that's how I'd answer it. One of the most epic arguments I've ever heard in my life was at this wedding in uh, my friend Becky in Edmonton, Alberta. And, you know, we're all drinking whiskey, getting fucking loud and everything. And there was like uh, one guy there who worked for um, uh, for railway. 
and uh, and he was like just uh, complaining about like about you know various things and stuff like that. And then there's somebody else there who I will not mention who was like worked for a trucking company. And this guy from the truck name was like, you fucking, you guys are so like old school. You're like, you're useless. And he goes, are you kidding? Like we can move freight uh, far more efficiently. It's much more green. It's much more like, he goes, the only reason we can't compete with you fuckers is because you externalize all of your costs. Mm-hmm. You get like all of the you know, most, and anybody who's worked, like uh, my, my cousin worked in like for Transportation Canada for a while and like, he said, you know, he's, he's seen all the numbers. He's, you know, he goes like most of the, the reason why our highways are constantly under repair. I mean, sure. Yeah. Corruption is part of it in Quebec, but like mainly our, our, the reason why our roads are like messed up all the time and have to be repaired is because of like 18 wheel trucks. They, mm. they just put a huge like tax on our whole transportation system. Mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. prematurely age all of our roads, mm-hmm. all of our infrastructure. They prematurely mm-hmm. age our bridges, mm-hmm. our highways, everything. Mm-hmm. And so he was like, you know, you basically get all of your infrastructure. You destroy all of our highways, our the Trans-Canadian Highway. You destroy everything. You get that paid for by taxpayers Mm-hmm. And you don't have, and then you also get all sorts of indirect subsidies to mm-hmm. gas prices and everything. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, when our railway tracks, when our track is like falling apart as it is in a lot of Canada and, and we get a train derailment or something like that, we have to repair all of that. Like mm-hmm. we're responsible for maintaining our infrastructure. You get all your infrastructure paid for indirectly by taxpayers. And so like, of course, you know, very often we lose out to you. You can ship something. But in terms of the actual energy expenditure, if we want to actually, you know, try and be like a more like green economy and stuff like that, it's way cheaper in in real cost to ship something from Vancouver to Montreal by train than it is by like by truck. But mm-hmm. because of all the corporate welfare because mm-hmm. of all the indirect like like benefits that they get when they're going to bid very often the truckers can the trucking company can actually offer a lower quote on moving that that freight and that means that our highways are more clogged up with them they mm-hmm. cause more accidents they cause like and it's, it's oh pollution what about the environmental costs yeah. who's going to pay for that bill but so many of these things are like that and the argument is like that, oh, you know, we have to kind of somehow, you know, we want to have a free market. Well, that's not a free market. I mean, that's like... that's Free market does not exist. It has never existed, will never exist. No such thing. But what are some of the specific things that you're going after that allow the the super uber-rich to avoid paying taxes? Okay. Well, we have a number of campaigns. Um, so one of our campaigns is called Level the Digital Playing Field. So we're in favor of a digital services tax on these monolithic companies 
like Google, Facebook, Amazon. We're not the first people to think of it. France actually imposed one unilaterally. Canada's got one in place, supposed to come in in January, uh, where they're going to impose a 3% tax on these uh, digital giants. Now, right now, we've got negotiations going on at the G20 and the OECD is coming up. And the Americans aren't too happy about their companies that might get taxed so much. So they're trying to say, listen, instead of that, we'll have this global corporate minimum tax rate. So but we think we should have both. Um, and so we're campaigning for that to be put in place on companies, including Uber, which if they had to pay, uh, you know, this digital services tax coming in, they'd be paying $60 million in tax a year. At the moment, mm. they don't pay any of that, even though they're saying, well, we shouldn't be uh, paying the kinds of taxes the transport companies do like your taxi company and so on because we're just a digital service but as soon as you say well then you should pay a digital services tax they say well 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 you know so you know they've always got so that's campaign number one is get these guys to choose whether they want tax a or tax b but you know pay something guys another one of our campaigns is called end snow washing we've got a problem internationally that's not just about taxation it's about crime you guys all heard about the panama papers paradise papers etc and so on so you got these, you know, like uh, Nazi family, ex-cons, uh, international terrorists, narco traffickers moving money all over the world through the same networks that big corporations move their money through and that very rich individuals use uh, move their money through. Uh, so going after these tax avoidance schemes is the same as going after the tax evasion schemes. They also often use the same uh, trajectories. And it's not just about making sure the rich people pay their fair share, but about, you know, putting a stop to international crime. Uh, so that's another one of our campaigns. We even thought of a name for it in Canada. We're calling it snow washing because <laughs> Canada is so lily white, you know, people, you know, can you imagine this? I put my dirty money through Canada. I don't even believe you. you know, <laughs> do these people really do that? Yeah, it turns out, you know, uh, pretty much any African dictator's got to, you know, uh, some of his money here in Montreal and, you know, you name it. They've got, uh, you know, Chinese gangs uh, laundering money through Canada. We're actually one of the preferred destinations in the world because we have such lax laws. Uh, the current... Um, Finance Minister Christian Freeland uh, did a good deed uh, recently to her credit, which is uh, she said by 2025, we're going to have a, a beneficial ownership registry so that you can find out who the ultimate owner is if these numbered accounts and find out if it's, you know, uh, your local mafioso or, uh, you know, somebody else you want to know even less. So that's part of what we're pushing towards. We've got another campaign that's called closed tax loopholes. And I mean, People, you say loopholes, and that's easy to get people to say yes to, but most of the time they don't know what they're talking about. Um, there are different loopholes. Uh, one that's easy to understand is you got uh, business meals and entertainment expense deduction. So, well, that's pretty easy, right? I'm company A. Uh, I want to give my buddies some hockey tickets uh, to the final game <laughs> tonight. <laughs> Unless we're lucky, you know, we might be <laughs> four in a row. But anyway, <laughs> to all of you out there, everybody in Montreal is very happy and very sad at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> our beloved hockey team finally got back towards the Stanley Cup and then collapsed. Anyway, that's another topic. Yeah. So uh, long story short, uh, you want to get tickets at game, your company is going to be able to afford all these expensive tickets that a regular person can't afford to go. And then when they give it to their friend to go see that, well, that's tax deductible. So you know what? Not only can you know how to afford to go, but they get to go for free. That's a little bit ridiculous. So we're campaigning against these business meals. And, you know, even Donald Trump started to clamp down on that kind of thing. This is we're talking about, you know, the tax cutter in chief. So, I mean, that's one that's got to go in Canada. I mean, if we're lagging behind Donald Trump, we're in trouble. So yeah, uh, I remember. I remember the first time I heard about all those deductions, and it was, um, uh, I think it was Albert Nuremberg. But he was talking. We were talking about how when we were kids, um, 
even if you grew up in like Verdun or the Point or like Centenary and stuff like that, like it was possible for, you know, your dad to like take you to the forum to watch like a Canadian's hockey game. It was, it was, you know, it was not very expensive. It was within reach for pretty much any working class person. Anybody could go to like a, a baseball game or a hockey game or football game. And then gradually the new stadiums were built and they increasingly had like big, huge sections that were all for business. And mm-hmm. I remember, I remember the first time I went to a Canadians game after they were in their new and there were all, all the best seats that were just like kind of like right there on the ice and you could see everything and you're like right in the thick of things. Those were all eaten up by like Molson's and by like various kind of businesses. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the seats were empty mm-hmm. and the people who were in them or yeah. in like the boxes and stuff like that, yeah. they weren't even fucking paying attention to the game at all. Yeah. They were talking yeah. to each other like rich yeah. assholes in suits. They were not like paying attention to the game. And it was just, it was like some, like I felt it was like somebody was like coming into my church with a hat on and mm-hmm. sitting at the front of the church, right in front of like where the ministers. With a top hat, not just a hat, but like a yeah, top hat. With a fucking hat. Yeah, like the fucking guy on the Monopoly money. Like yeah, the yeah, Monopoly, yeah. And going in and fucking around on their phone. It was just so <laughs> disrespectful. You're in a temple of hockey yeah. and you're, you're not even paying attention to the game. You're yeah. like talking to each other about it. And this apparently has happened all over North America where all these new stadiums get built usually on the taxpayer's dime. Mm-hmm. They get massive like, you know, breaks or even subsidies and stuff like that. Then they built this thing that is totally set up for all these business people. And then, like you say, they're writing off all the costs of the tickets mm-hmm. they're, and they're destroying sports because now like, you know, regular people, you know, in the point and they can't afford to go to games anymore. It's like out of price. And then even if you go while you're there, a lot of the best tickets are going to people who are like not, they're doing business or they're doing something else there. Like you look inside the box, like those, you know, yeah, yeah, I know what you're like talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's like, they're like drinking like a fancy cocktail. They're not even paying attention to the game. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. Like, why are you here? Yeah, yeah. Well, but now you know what Albert Nuremberg was telling me, and what you've just like totally reinforced is that part of the reason they're there is because of these fucking tax tax loopholes. Yeah, they're writing it all off. Yeah, like, they're not even that. paying for it. Yeah, yeah. It's just a. I mean, it's I, just a bonus. Yeah, it's nice, and it's and it affects the the atmosphere of the game too, right? If you got only like two thirds of the fans there cheering on their team. Well, what's the point of having a twenty thousand seat stadium? Why don't you make it a thirteen thousand seat stadium? And you know. Uh, so, I mean, it's just not the same uh, kind of atmosphere when these guys are tuned out. You know, you want people into the game. So it affects the players, affects the other fans. So, And yeah, it, affects, it affects other taxpayers. I mean, this is like, uh, what was that guy, the Scandinavian guy, Mansur Olson, he wrote um, uh, the, the Logic of Collective Action. And he is this, he's the one who came up with the whole idea of, um, of the, uh, the free rider principle right that if you have in any system it could be like it could be a a small human system as much as like a bunch of roommates and you have like let's say like one roommate who never like does the dishes never cleans up after (laughs) himself and then you know if it's just let's say you have like like five roommates and if you have one person who's a slob and so the other four have to pick up the slack 
for that's exactly that person. Right. Yeah. And uh, but what Mansur Olson says is that with any human system, whether it be a, a taxation system, whether it be a public transportation system, whether it be uh, like a, a roadway, if you get a critical number of people who are speeding or not paying their fair share of taxes or not uh, cleaning up after themselves, there is a point at which uh, you go into free fall mm-hmm. where people, there's enough people. So if you, mm-hmm. let's say like you, you, you make some money, you move to like, you know, a better neighborhood, you're like living in NDG and then you move up. If you get to a certain point, like you move to West Mount or something like that, and all your neighbors are paying like pretty much zero tax mm-hmm. because, well, at that point, you feel like a chump. You're like, mm-hmm. I'm an idiot. Why am I going like, why am I going the speed limit when everybody's speeding? I might as well mm-hmm. speed too. Like mm-hmm. everybody's doing it. Why can't we? And mm-hmm. so like that, I think is, is one of the big problems that like at a certain point, if all the other corporations are getting massive corporate welfare, if all the other rich people, you know, are writing off all their business expenses and their dinners and their hockey tickets and all this other shit, like at a certain point you feel like, well, if I don't do this, I'm actually hurting my own competitiveness against like these other people. Like I'm, what's the point? Like I, I can't, you know, and that to me is, is one of the, the really, really uh, important things about the work that you guys are doing is that like, I think if, if too many people, too many rich people are, and corporations are taking advantage of all of these bullshit loopholes that shouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. There is a point at which, decent rich people Mm -hmm. and decent uh corporate leaders Mm -hmm. you know are gonna feel like you know maybe people who have like good impulses and they have good intentions Mm -hmm. they're gonna say well look i have to do this just to you know like there was a situation well i think i think there's also i think there's also a measure of truth just economically to what you're saying right i mean you're talking about um the social dynamic amongst the elite uh, and I totally get that. I mean, there's also an element of just like, you know, <laughs> the kind of competition that goes around, like, uh, guys being guys or people being people, you know, everybody's got an ego. And so you're sitting around the table and you have, I mean, these people just associate with each other. Right. And so mm-hmm. you have everybody sitting around the table and who's cooler. Well, the guy with more money. Um, so, you know, there's all kinds of social dynamics that, you know, propagate the phenomena that we're talking about where people don't end up paying their fair share. But I think there's also an economic argument, uh, which is that if the government doesn't level the playing field and make sure that everybody has to contribute fairly, well, inevitably you're going to, it's bad business to not take advantage of, you know, one thing or another. So our real problem is with the government not regulating corporations uh, and not taxing the uber wealthy effectively. Uh, that's their job. Actually, well, the uber wealthy, they're going to try to do with whatever they're going to try to do. And we're not, we're not out to like instill them with a moral conscience. It'd be nice if they grew one, uh, really nice. But, you know, at the end of the day, our job is to make sure that the people who we hire and we pay, because remember, they don't pay too much tax, so they don't actually pay these people, but we hire and we pay and we vote for to put in place regulations to unrig the system and make sure that we actually do have a fair taxation uh, in Canada. What did you think? I, I was like dying to ask you. I had like a list of things. I was like, I gotta ask Jared about this. But like, what did you think and, and in your organization when Justin Trudeau 
I'll never forget this. I was like kind of blown away as somebody who's voted, you know, sort of NDP or Bluck or something my whole life. I, I, I voted for the first time in my entire life. I voted liberal was for Justin Trudeau. And it's just because he's great here. Give him credit. He's got great like, I didn't know it was not the hair. <laughs> I didn't like anything else on offer. I felt yeah. like the NDP had lost its way. The Bloc had lost their minds uh, that I, you know, I'm not going to vote conservative, but like, but the, I voted, but one of the things that actually made me uh, vote for Trudeau was I couldn't believe the balls of somebody in this political climate in this day and age getting up and telling voters, I'm going to raise your taxes if I'm elected. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because there's been this game that's been so successful where the, you know the kind of the neoconservative like game where they've convinced everybody that you gotta be like fiscal conservative and you gotta all this stuff and like and it was just so completely out of left field uh pun not intended but welcome uh yeah. for somebody to get up and say like actually um our taxes are too low and we have a lot of things that we need to pay for our infrastructure is falling apart um yeah if you elect me i'm gonna raise your taxes and then he won in a landslide. I mean, what did you think about that? Um, I don't think it's the only reason he won. Um, no, no, no. I mean, but but it was kind yeah. of amazing. Yeah, I I think that um, it it says something about the political climate that well. There's politics in it too, right? I mean, uh, an element of it, I think, was he was trying to outflank the NDP on the left because, uh, you know, he had Tom Mulcair trying to push to the right, and so he managed to do that. Yeah, he um, was pushing fiscal responsibility, and meanwhile, the yeah. fucking liberals are saying, oh, no, we're not going to cut your taxes. We're not going to yeah. he also ran. He also ran a better campaign. I mean, Mulcair just ran a bad campaign, and Trudeau's, you know, was good. But, um, so two points. Number one, um, the things that he promised and uh, to some extent has implemented aren't the big ticket items, right? So he's raised taxes a little bit on people earning more money. Uh, okay, that's a small step in the right direction, but you're not really going after the huge multi-billion dollar companies. You're not changing the system. So, you know, another tax loophole we could talk about is that's just the fact that you're, the money that you make from investments only 50% of that is taxed, whereas the money made from employment, 100% of that is taxed. And that's ridiculous because super rich people own over 80% of the stocks. Uh, so, of course, that's really a tax break for the rich. And to some right. extent, you know, your, your pension income or whatever. But, like, really, it's a tax break for the rich. So that kind of fundamental change, those kind of systemic loopholes that continue to make it harder for poor people to make it into the middle class and for middle class people to save effectively for retirement and live decent li- lifestyles, uh, those kinds of changes haven't really taken place. I'll give you another example uh, more recently, this sort of same trend that the liberals have been on. Um, you hear a lot about a wealth tax these days uh so you know people on the left have been talking about it for a while bernie sanders and you know elizabeth warren people like that in the states um and in the last federal budget the trudeau government said oh you know what? we're going to put out a tax on super yachts and expensive planes but if you look at how much money that's actually going to bring in you're talking about millions of dollars you're not talking about something that's really going to bring in billions of dollars Mm -hmm. like tax loopholes that we're talking about like taxing corporations at a higher rate like you know preventing people from 
only paying 50% uh, tax on 50% of what they make from uh, investment income as opposed to labor. So these these kinds of things really do have to change much more fundamentally than the sort of piecemeal uh, symbolic changes that the liberals have been putting in so far. I think there are good people in the Liberal Party. Um, I think they're also under a lot of pressure from the lobbyists that we talked about in this interview before. Uh, We have a finance minister who wrote a book called Plutocrats, where she kind of spelled things out. And she's a former journalist, right? She doesn't come with the same sort of background as some of these uh, other, you know, I mean, the guy who's going to try to get her job, Mark Carney, is, you know, ex-Goldman Sachs and so on. So, you know, you have different backgrounds. But at the same time, there's only so much she's able to do. So, you know, there's 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 a systemic problem there uh, in terms of how their changes don't really make a big impact. And um, well, I guess I guess that's my I guess that's my nutshell. What do you think about uh, Thomas Piketty, his his new um, his new book, which my my buddy Alex is kind of crazy about, and uh, you know we we read it together. And like in his new book, he says that one of the solutions to the problem that we have right now is that you have these bigger international corporations like Apple, which is basically run out of like a post office in Ireland. They gave them some sweetheart deal where they pay like practically no taxes on. Yeah. You know, meanwhile, like they have practically none of their businesses in Ireland as, you know, it's yeah. all, it's everywhere else, but they, they're there because they get a sweetheart tax deal. But one of the things Thomas Piketty says is as a, a concrete solution to mm-hmm. get sort of tax fairness and, and all this stuff is, he said, you should sort of go to a company like Apple or, you know, or Google or whatever and and they have very, very detailed data on, you know, where they're actually making their money. And so he says, like, okay, let's uh, requisition. We don't even have to requisition because we have it. It's all publicly available knowledge. Mm-hmm. So if 15%, for instance, of Apple's uh, business is done in France, yeah. then let's look at what your profits are for, you know, 2021. And 15% of your profits are going to be taxed in France. I don't give a fuck where you're incorporated, whatever, fuck yourself. Like, you know, where, like, okay, you do uh, 10% of your businesses in Canada. Well, guess what? We're getting, we're getting a piece, 10% of a piece of that action. Like we're taxing that. You're, we're letting you into this market. We're letting you sell stuff to our citizens. You're going to contribute to to this place you can't uh, and and all these different apparently because of Piketty's book mm-hmm. um, Iceland uh, Finland like uh, a bunch of countries are seriously considering saying to all these international I don't care where you're incorporated mm-hmm. we're gonna we're gonna instead tax you on like uh, where your customers are rather yeah. than where your incorporation is what, what yeah. do you think about that so, yeah, I mean, it's not a new idea, but it's new that it's gaining a lot of public traction. Uh, Piketty is not the first person to talk about. There's another good economist named Gabriel Zuckman. Uh, Piketty wrote forward to his last book, which is uh, The Hidden Wealth of Nations, which is on my desk. Uh, here. Um, anyway, that's a good accessible one for people who want to start off reading. Piketty's kind of big and heavy. And uh, so, um, so, yes, it is a critical uh, aspect of taxing corporations fairly is to base the uh, the amount of tax on their sales and other economic indicators in the countries where they do business. It makes much more sense and it will put an end to what has been called the race to the bottom and is mm. just recently 
turn to a race to the minimum uh, in corporate taxation. So up till now, uh, companies have been playing governments off against each other, right? Oh, you have a tax rate of 20%. We'll go somewhere where it's 15%. It's 15%. Oh, we'll go somewhere where it's 12.5%, like in Ireland. Oh, maybe we'll go to Bermuda where it's zero and we'll just put a shell company in the Netherlands uh, and do the double Dutch. Anyway, uh, that's changing slowly. Uh, they are proposing now that negotiators and representatives of the rich countries, especially, are pushing to put in place a 15% minimum corporate tax rate. So, in future, if a company wants to set up its headquarters in Ireland, which is only at 12.5%, well, when that money would come back to the United States, the Americans could say, well, we're going to top you up to 15%. You only pay 12.5%. We're going to add an extra 2.5%. Or if the company were to have set up, uh, you know, somewhere like Hungary, where it's even less than 10%, well, we'll just top you up to 15% when you come back to America or Canada, wherever it is. And the goal of this uh, would seem to be egalitarian and tax-free minded, but it's really about closing down the tiny little tax havens like Bermuda or the Cayman Islands and making sure that those taxes are paid in the rich countries. Poor countries don't are not going to really benefit so much from it. And that's... Um, uh, a point that they've been making as loudly as they can. Uh, so the race to the bottom is going to turn into a race to the minimum. They've pretty much agreed. This has just came out a few days ago, last Thursday. You know, the OECD representatives of the G20 said, okay, we're going to agree on 15%, which is what the G7 had said a few weeks before. Um, and I hope that that 15% will come up. I mean, we're hoping it even goes up as far as 25%. Uh, you have international organizations that fight for tax fairness. We're not the only ones. There's a tax justice network in the UK that does a great job amongst others. Um, and so 25% would really be what we need, uh, certainly at the moment, because governments have been investing so much money to recuperate from the pandemic. So we're talking about a time when we need additional spending now. Like if there's any time to raise the taxes, it's like right now. We're talking about uh, a global climate catastrophe, like Time, if it's not already run out, it's like really right now that we need to invest and switch to renewable energy. There's no good reason to stay on fossil fuels because the price has come down low enough on renewable energy. But we need that initial government investment. Without it, we can't really make that switch. So A, save the world, B, recuperate from the pandemic. And then going forward, it's a, it's a tax fairness issue, assuming we get through the other stuff. And, uh, and so you really do need to put an end to this shopping around for the lowest tax jurisdiction by corporations, then it is going to end. Um, and ultimately, yes, we do need to base taxation on easy to calculate uh, variables and indicators, such as how much the sales are in a given country. And that's sort of the rationale behind the digital services tax that we talked about before, right? Uh-huh. France is saying, well, you might be an American company, but here's how much you're selling. Uh, here's how much you're making in our country. We're going to tax you on that. So the idea is uh, gaining momentum. I really feel like uh, the tides have turned in our favor. There was even this morning, there was a Globe and Mail, which is quite a conservative newspaper owned by the richest family in Canada. These people are multi-billionaires at Thompson's. And their Globe and Mail editorial was all about how taxes need to be fair. Uh, so when that's happening, you know, you know the tide has really turned. Yeah, well, I, I hope it continues. I hope it continues to turn and we keep like, the heat on them because it's uh, it it does end up it it ends up eroding so many things. It's like you know I, if you if you want to undermine like like okay for instance like growing up here in Montreal, I grew up at a time when a lot of the social programs were were really strong and they were really they were really good. So like you know. My mom was on welfare for as a single mom 
for mm-hmm. a number of years. And, you know, it wasn't a lot, but, and we were living in social housing and Redon and stuff like that. And like, but it was enough to live like a life of dignity and, and where we didn't have like cockroaches and, you know, rats and mice all around our place and stuff like that. It was like, it was a clean apartment. It was like nice and it was decent. And, and I could go to like public schools where, you know, I was getting like a good education, you know, pretty, you know, so the, the difference between the education I was getting in Verdun versus like, you know, wealthy people was not huge so that I could later on, if I wanted to do stuff with my life, I could, you know, add all these opportunities. But increasingly what's happened is you defund, you you drain the coffers, the sort of the Reagan Thatcher model, like you drain government of finances mm-hmm. by like making it possible to you know, cut funding, cut like revenues and things like that. And so now suddenly, you know, your services suck. And so then that, you know, it becomes like a kind of a, a vicious cycle because then people say, well, like, you know, my health insurance, public health insurance, Medicare sucks. So mm-hmm. why don't we just go to private? Yeah. Like, well, this sucks. So, so why don't we just go to like private? And so it's, there's this weird kind of Machiavellian logic in the background mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Like, if you give tons of like tax loopholes and you reduce revenues, mm-hmm. it means that services suck. And then increasingly you get people who are, are, are into the idea of like, well, let's just get rid of all this bullshit. Cause it doesn't mm-hmm. really like, it's really, it's really sleazy. And so I think like what you're doing and what people like you are doing is extremely important because you're actually getting to the root of the problem, mm-hmm. which is that if our governments don't have enough money mm-hmm. to do the things they need to do, mm-hmm. then that actually just feeds the argument that, you know, what was Reagan's famous line, like, you know, the most terrifying words in the English language is I'm here from the government and we're here to help. I mean, what a completely insane idea. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, government is basically, as you said to me the other night when I was, I was at your place, like government's basically just what we do together as yeah, a community. Yeah, yeah. Put That's your money together to, to spend collectively and it ends up being cheaper like that. So yeah. Uh, and so if you can if you can convince a lot of people to reduce that kitty of money for in various ways and so that government can't actually do the thing it's supposed to do you know keep the roads proper the schools nice and stuff well at that point like yeah like the difference is when i moved down to the states and i was living in baltimore uh you know the infrastructure was all fucked up everything's kind of a mess the schools were just like all the paint peeling off the walls. The mm-hmm. textbooks, like the Cold War was still happening in the textbooks. They were so old. Like everything was like falling apart and everything. And so I enjoy, I sort of, I mean, I didn't agree with, but I sort of understood after living in the States for like a couple of years, I understood why people are so resentful of paying taxes mm-hmm. because it doesn't seem like you're getting a lot of value for your money. Right? Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. But that's by design. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that that's yeah. why this all kind of this neoliberal thing that that they precisely they knew exactly what they were doing. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like make all the government services suck mm-hmm. and then you can like push your anti-government agenda more effectively. 
Yeah, Canadians for Tax Fairness was founded with an awareness of that agenda clearly in mind. I mean, we're not just about fair taxation. We're a progressive organization uh, that is in favor of fair taxation. We want taxes to be paid by the uber wealthy and paid fairly by everybody so that everybody can benefit from the public services that taxes pay for. Um, I mean, in the long run, it's just better for everyone. Uh, it's better for the rich. It's better for the poor. Uh, we talked at the beginning of the interview about how it's sort of like a just uh, insanity to not want to live in a society that is, you know, made livable by a reasonable level of government spending. I mean, once upon a time, there was no fire department, you know, you had to put out your own fire. Well, mm-hmm. people started to think, well, you know what, that's not such a great idea. How about we get some people there who are always there and always ready. And when you call them, they come. Uh, so you can apply that to any other public service. And we're you're just talking about education. I mean, I mean, it's I'm sure we're doing better than the states. I haven't seen the schools in Baltimore, but I don't what you, I don't doubt what you're saying. But oh, I mean, even around, they're, they're even, totally but even around here, right? I mean, even around here, uh, daycare teachers are grossly underpaid. Uh, other teachers are more or less underpaid. Uh, you know, uh, the amount of students in the classroom has been growing. Uh, it's bigger than it was when forty uh, somethings like you and me were back in school. Uh, there really does need to be a reinvestment in that. And the only way we're going to get the kind of investment that is going to allow uh, the opportunity for social advancement and the opportunity to live in the kind of clean apartments uh, that you're talking about is uh, if we have the government with a reasonable level of spending. And we don't campaign for anything other than that. We're, we don't in, uh, favor increased taxes on the middle class. Uh, and in fact, we're not specifically in favor of taxes like an increased um, sales tax that targets the middle class directly. We're just saying, listen, there are some people who have more money than they can ever use in their life. They have so much money that giving a little bit more of it would not affect their life at all. We're not saying you have to change anything. You continue to live a life of luxury and fly first class and drink the best cocktails at the forum, you know, but just pay for your ticket, would you? And then by the way, pay your taxes on the way home. So um, we, we get it. It's all about contributing a fair share so that you can have public services that we all need. Uh, and in my personal opinion, I'm not speaking for Canadians for tax fairness here, but my personal opinion, yeah, there's, I agree with you hundred percent. There has been a deliberate, uh, conscious, well thought out, uh, attempt to undermine public trust in public services so that they can be privatized. And when you mentioned Reagan and Thatcher, you forgot our buddy Mulroney, who privatized all kinds of things, mm-hmm. including our capacity to make vaccines. Hello, we're in a pandemic. If we'd have still had that and it had been sold off, uh, we'd have been a whole lot better off here in Canada and paid less money than we had to to other countries to make vaccines for us. So, you know, case in point, uh, public services work. They can be effective and they're in general less expensive because you don't have to make, you're not also paying for the profit margin of whoever does these things for you. So, uh, and ultimately, do you want to live in a society? The question is too, what do you want, right? I mean, what, what kind of country and what kind of world do you want to live? I you want can, to live in a world where we take know, care of each other. That's it, you know? And even if you don't want to live in, you know, even if you don't have that sort of a moral imperative or moral impulse, uh, it's just better off for you in your own selfish interest uh, to pay a little bit more, to pay your fair share in taxes if you're rich, 
um, and to make sure that the government is there. I mean, you look at any, uh, you know, crime going down. Do you want to live where there's people? Do you, you want to pay for your own security guards? Do you want to worry when you walk around? I mean, go to go to any country. and you Like know. Brazil, for instance. Yeah. Oh, my God. Dude. You got to have, like, people walking around with, like, sub sub-automatic, Listen, you know. My aunt was friend with a guy who was like, a rich guy. He used to drive around. He never went somewhere in Brazil. He's a Brazilian guy. He never went somewhere without his bodyguard who was armed in the front seat with him. You want to yeah. live like that? You know, come on. Yeah. No, I, I, I remember like when the kidnappings got really outrageous in Mexico, uh, where I teach at John Abbott College, we had uh, suddenly it was kind of amazing. Like in the space of about one year, our foreign exchange program went from being like, let's say maybe five, 10 percent uh, Mexican to being uh, like a half to two thirds Mexican. Mm. And it was basically all the Mexican elite were just trying to get their kids out of the country. And so they were sending mm. them wherever they could and they were willing to pay, you know, top dollar to mm. come and like live on the West Island, Montreal, like mm. in a dorm at, you know, St. Anne de Bellevue. And like, and I, I actually, there were so many Mexican students that came in that they had to create some extra classes that were just for them. And I taught one of the classes and it was just mind blowing. They were telling me like, you know, how this is what happens when the separation between rich and poor gets too big Mm -hmm. in the country. Mm -hmm. If you have money and you're doing okay, you can enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Like you're just, you live in basically almost like medieval like cities with like a moat and dragons. Yeah, you got to hide behind your like fortress. Your big walls, and you've got to have like That's dogs, it. and you have to have security teams, and you have to have. And even with all of that money you're spending on on that stuff, mm-hmm. uh, you still have to deal with like your your kids, your wife, your your cousin, your niece getting kidnapped on a regular basis. So common that there's a whole procedure for how to deal with it. Like, and they mm. have infrastructure for you. Put your money in escrow. And as soon as it <laughs> clears, we'll let your kid go. And like, like just like, that is just, that's no way to live. Yeah. I mean, that's just like no way to live, but that, it seems like, you know, when I talk to my hardcore libertarian friends, they're like, yeah, yeah that'll be amazing. Like, no, it's not like that, that, that would be hell. But anyway, I wanted to like finish off by asking you, um, and, you know, you can just answer this as a, as a dude. You don't have to answer this as a representative of your organization. But I had uh, the, the mayor of Montreal, Larry Plant, on the podcast uh, a couple months ago. And one of the things that we talked about was she said, yeah, well, there's this real problem structurally with our tax system where when our tax system was set up and when our government was set up, Uh, in Canada, the United States, and a number of kind of industrialized Western nations. When the system was set up, it was usually in the 18th or the 19th century when less than 10% of the population lived in cities. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes, you know, as much as 5%, uh, really low. So cities were just not where, like, most of your population was, most of the action was. So you set up like an electoral map and you set up a taxation system, which was for that reality. She said, now the majority of people live in big urban areas, but we still have in Canada, the United States, and to a lesser extent, Australia and New Zealand, they've made some 
changes, uh, UK, some changes. But in Canada, the United States, very much, you still have a system where all of our money goes to a federal government or in some instances mm-hmm. uh, to a provincial government or a state government. And then the the municipal governments mm-hmm. were actually doing the vast majority of the heavy lifting of actually mm-hmm. managing mm-hmm. a society. They have to go hat in hand like mm-hmm. beggars. Can you please, you know, give us some of the money we just put in your pocket? Like, like Montreal pays Quebec's bills. You know, yeah. like New York City pays New York State's bills. Mm-hmm. Toronto mm-hmm. pays Ontario's bills. Mm-hmm. And yet they get treated like total shit by mm-hmm. the state, the provincial governments. Mm-hmm. And very often you have these governments, uh, federal governments or uh, provincial governments or state governments that are just totally out of touch with the needs of the city, which yeah. is to say the needs of most of the citizens in their country. And uh what what would you think about like a like a reorganization of the tax system where mm-hmm. you and I and it, corporations and, and individuals paid taxes directly to municipalities as yeah. opposed to uh, so maybe like you know splitting up our taxes let's say in three so yeah. a third of my taxes goes to Ottawa a third of my taxes goes to Quebec City a third of my taxes goes to to City Hall here in Montreal. And that way, just from the start, Roger mm-hmm. Montréal, you know, the city government, they have a bunch of money in their pocket and they can decide, you know, how to you know how to use that. What do you think about that idea? Uh, well, first of all, full disclosure, I'm a member of Roger Montréal and I have been for about uh, eight, nine years. Um, so, and I contribute to them. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. but everybody knows that. So, so I, yeah. I tend, I tend to agree with what's in there and not everything, but I tend to agree with uh, most of what they do. And there's certainly, uh, in my opinion, a far better party when it comes to corruption than what we've seen previously. Uh, and so that's a big part of making sure that the money that we do spend on taxes the most honest is, government we've had in the history of our city. I think. Yeah, perhaps, <laughs> you know, uh, maybe in the 19th century, you might be able to find. Yeah. For everybody listening from outside Montreal, it's not necessarily saying much, you know, but uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, we're it's a, a step towards uh, corrupt city. Yeah, yeah. Anyhow, um, so but but if you want to have your taxes go somewhere, be used for the public good, you got to make sure that they're not getting siphoned off uh, by corrupt officials who are in cahoots with the construction mafia and others, as previous administrations have been uh, widely accused of, and in some cases uh, convicted of. Anyway. Long story short, that's my, uh, so yes, uh, we do need to uh, rethink. And I think that's the key point from everything you're saying is we need to rethink how our tax system works. Uh, We need to rethink how our federal taxes are paid, how our provincial taxes are paid. And we need to keep an open mind to it and not just complain that, uh, you know, I'm paying too much taxes or even in my case, say, well, some people are not paying enough taxes but also to rethink how those taxes are collected and how those taxes are distributed. I think there's a lot of room for good new ideas. I personally, as Darren, uh, like your proposal of dividing up in three, and it's not the first time I've heard it. It's been suggested elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is absolutely, and this is a fact now that I'm saying, uh, there is a disproportionate amount of spending that takes place on people who live outside of municipalities Mm -hmm. just for practical reasons, right? I mean, if you got a whole lot of road that leads to your house and I have only as much road in front of my house as is there, 
well, it's going to cost more to maintain your road, et cetera, and so on. There's a pollution that comes from, you know, uh, commuting into the city and so on and so forth. So there's all kinds of costs with um, living far away. Uh, garbage collection, right? I got an aunt and uncle who live out north of Ottawa in the Gatineau, and there's a garbage truck that comes and picks up their garbage. I mean, that truck has to go a whole lot further between two houses than it does in my neighborhood. My neighborhood is, uh, has a mur mitoyen, a, a, I don't know what you call it in, in English, but, a, you know, a wall between me and the neighbors. So. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yes, it does need to be rethought. Uh, there should be fairness for people in urban areas, just as there is fairness for, should be fairness for people in the middle class. Um, there are some cities that have started to move towards this. New York has an income tax and has for a while. Um, it's not huge, uh, but we wouldn't be the first people to implement it. So I think there's a lot of room for us to look at other cities and uh, see what we can do uh, to make our tax system fairer and uh, to make it more intelligent. Uh, and to make the alloc uh, you know allocation of those funds work for everybody uh, more effectively, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I think this is this is just you know one of, one of the most important things uh, that that you can work on at this point. I mean, like I actually, <laughs> if I was if I was you know didn't want to be a Seja PJ where I would actually consider working for something like your, I, I think what you're doing is just, is we'll have, we'll have to raise so a bit more money to hire you. you yeah, know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I think it's, I think it's one of the uh, most important things uh, that you can possibly be working on right now, because this is, this is one of those pressure points. Like if we get this wrong, nothing else we're doing, will work because it just won't have the funding to be able to yeah. work. So yeah. if we don't get this, this is the, the sort of making sure there's like the, the gas in the engine of, mm -hmm. of a kind of a just society. Like if, if we don't have that, yeah. uh, nothing else, nothing else will work. So I think what you're doing is, you know, as I said to you, you know, it replies, I, I think what you're doing is really, really noble and mm -hmm. good. And, um, and I, I thank you very, very much for what you're doing and uh and i will you know help you in any way i possibly can <laughs> thank, thank you so. very much for having me on and i just want to say a final note of optimism you know i mean like uh, there seem like all these hurdles out there and you know we even talked about you know the severity of the situation that requires effective government spending but i really think that the uh the wind is blowing in the sails of uh, fair taxation now like i haven't seen it before uh when you've got you know the president of the u.s talking about how he wants corporations to pay their fair share when you got stephen harper doing a mea culpa i don't think he said sorry the entire time this guy was uh <laughs> never you know in the canadian like parliament i, mean, I think man, it didn't know it was like... in his vocabulary you know yeah. so a uh, pr person obviously had a good talk with him after he lost the election and um you got, you know, the IMF talking about how, you know, this whole trickle down economics doesn't work and never worked. I think the ties are changing uh, and uh, we got the wind in our sails. So I think there is uh, cause for cautious optimism. So I'll I, hope you're, I, I hope you're right. But I think we really, like you say, we really need to push really hard on this yeah, oh, a yeah. lot. And, yeah, yeah. and we can't like let, uh, let go at all because yeah, yeah. There is no, you can't a lot take of, your foot is, off the gas now no because i think a lot of people have realized through the the pandemic that oh wow actually there are some things that government can do that the private sector can't do and like oh we actually do need to have you know these things in place and like i yeah. think while and even when the private sector are, can do them they can't do them without the public sector without, without yeah without so know. so we need to sort of like 
while people are, their consciousness has been raised. I mean, it's very tragic what led to it, but mm-hmm. they, they, their consciousness, people understand, I think right now, uh, in a way that they did, you know, let's say like after World War II, where mm-hmm. people were like, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, actually we can do some pretty, we can fucking defeat Nazis. We can like, mm-hmm. you know, people, mm-hmm. they've like, okay, we can like, we can do things together that are really great and good mm-hmm. that we can't do apart and that can't be done by the private sector. Mm-hmm. And so that was, that very much fed into the, the growth of the post-World War II uh, kind of social welfare state in a lot mm-hmm. of industrialized nations. And so I think we're at a moment right now too, where a lot of people just on a gut level are like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, we, yeah. we kind of can do some stuff together. So I think we just need to, really push hard on this and i well, thank seth you klein, for being yeah seth klein came out with a book actually called a good war uh just this past year where he talks about how we have to you know reappropriate that kind of mentality to deal with climate change uh but we could apply that to other things too um so exactly the point that you're making this is naomi klein's uh brother for everybody out there so uh yeah i think yeah, you make an excellent point yeah, yeah. all right thank you very much and, uh, pleasure, John. and i will talk to you soon take care okay. take care